This is Soul Over the Bones, a podcast for rewilding by Liz Glenn. I recently read Wolfish by Erica Berry, a book I was initially drawn to for obvious reasons, further study on the archetype of the wolf. Wildness of wolf and woman are inextricably linked. Understanding the history of wolf hysteria helps me to understand the history of fearing wild women, and the threat both seem to pose to those who they themselves are out of control, reflecting their insecurities and shortcomings onto things they can vanquish externally because they can't heal what is broken internally. Its name is patriarchy. I couldn't believe it took until the end of the book for women who run with the wolves to be mentioned, and then only mentioned very briefly, but otherwise it was a fascinating read, braiding the nonfiction of Barry's own life experience and perceptions of fear with the history of wolves and their persecution around the globe. My favorite chapter, of course, was the last, Wolf Mother. When we look at most any animal, we can see clearly the ferocity of mother protecting her young. But especially with the wolf, an animal already perceived to be so fierce while also being renowned for its loyalty, it's easy to see how a mother wolf would so dutifully protect her babies. Barry shares in Wolfish that the German word Mutterwe translates to both mother's pain and hysterical affection. I don't know if a word has ever better encompassed my deep and steadfast love for my own daughter, for all I want to give her, for all I know I cannot protect her against. Barry wonders if wolves have the capacity to feel grief. She relayed an unusual story about a pack of coyotes that had a den together, which they rarely do, and that invaded wolf territory, which rarely happens. The coyotes circled around and intimidated the older wolves that they felt they could take on, that were going back to their wolf den with food for the wolf pups, forcing them to spit out the food they had consumed so the coyotes could eat it, which then left the wolf pups hungry. Eventually, the wolf mother and her pack had had enough and paid a visit to the coyote den to dig up and kill all of their pups one by one. Is this an example of eye for an eye or mutterwe? Women Who Run With the Wolves says about wolf mothers, Among wolves, when a wolf mother nurses her pups, she and they spend much time lazing about. Everyone slumps over everyone else in a great puppy pile. The outer world and the world of challenges are far away. However, when the wolf mother finally trains the pups to hunt and forage, she shows them her teeth more often than not. She snaps and demands they keep up. She shoves them down if they don't do what she requires. And so it is in order to pursue further development that we exchange the hovering internal mother, which was so apt for us when we were young, for another kind of mother one who lives even deeper in the psychic wilderlands, 
one who is both escort and teacher. She is a loving mother, but also fierce and demanding. Wolfish makes a great point about rewilding within the scope of wolf reintroduction, though, when Barry says, To rewild is, by nature, to, quote, rewind time, often in an effort to, quote, undo human influence, but as with rewinding a tape to record over it, the act necessitates an erasure. Whose influence are you erasing, and whose are you, quote, going back to? This brings to mind a lot of thought camps surrounding cultural appropriation. Returning to a culture that is not ours. Returning to a state of wild our people have never adopted, never known, and in many cases killed off. On one hand, I'm trying my best to be intentional about how I present information through my cis, white, privileged lens, keeping an open mind that's willing to be changed while amplifying melanated voices. Our intention has to constantly be examined, though. Are we doing what we do to be trendy? To reach more people outside our own demographic? To be a thought leader? Or is it to be intentional? To make reparations? To right wrongs? To truly try to understand and hear rather than be heard? Are we able within our white fragility to be told we're wrong? Can our egos withstand challenges and corrections? I'm reminded of the white girl trope I'm guilty of trying on. Things like dressing like indigenous people for Halloween, wearing dreamcatcher earrings, and spirit animals, which is a cultural appropriation and microaggression toward native people. Instead of saying that people or things are our, quote, spirit animal, both animate and inanimate, we're making a sacred belief system into a joke or catchphrase for our own pleasure. I was born into the same city I currently live in, and it looks more or less the same now as it did then. I tend to the same lawn my dad was mowing when my mom rushed out to say it was time to get to the hospital. This is, of course, Sockland that was stolen and eventually settled by European immigrants like my family, who came from France, England, Germany, and Denmark, to Canada, then eventually roaming down into Michigan to tend the taken land that needed white workers for profit. So what am I trying to rewild? Was I ever wild? What am I trying to return to? My own personal roots, which extend back some 30 years to this same industrial concrete jungle. My family's roots, which extend back to taking over vacant land that had been occupied, but its rightful caretakers had been forced out or eradicated. Or am I trying to adopt native roots that aren't mine to claim, rites and rituals that are not my heritage? I like to think that I hold a deep respect for cultures that aren't mine without adopting them as my own. Mostly rewilding for me could be defined as returning to the state of childlike wonder and sense of freedom I once felt but gave up or was taken from me in favor of what I thought I was supposed to be in adulthood or what was determined for me. In the book Enchantment by Catherine May, 
She describes enchantment as, quote, a small wonder magnified through meaning, fascination caught in the web of fable and memory. It relies on small doses of awe, almost homeopathic. Those quiet traces of fascination that are found only when we look for them. It is the sense that we are joined together as one continuous thread of existence with the elements constituting this earth, and that there is a potency trapped in this interconnection, a tingle on the border of our perception. It is the forgotten seam in our geology, the elusive particle that binds our unstable matter, the ability to sense magic in the everyday, to channel it through our minds and bodies, to be sustained by it. Without it, I feel I am lacking some essential nutrient, some vitamin only found when you go digging in your own soil. Rewilding also looks like adopting a more matriarchal society where women are revered for their intuition instead of feared for their power. A return to nature, finding peace and medicine within its leafy embrace and respecting it enough to protect it. Rewilding looks like voting in such a way that we tax corporate billionaires and stop supporting the top companies that cause global warming. That we don't fear looking inward and facing our shadows, but sit with them and feel to heal. In taking care of one another, returning to community and interconnectedness, loving and respecting each person as a unique individual that is intertwined with us as one in the grand scheme of things. Rewilding looks like protecting wolves who have been eradicated in much the same way human natives were. There are small, easy, actionable steps you can take today toward helping restore wolf populations, which, in turn, help ecosystems thrive and allow this gorgeous creature to have protections that would prevent illegal hunting. One way would be to take action on realistwolves.org, which I'll link to in the show notes. I am constantly finding myself reinvented, but in every new iteration, I try sincerely to peel back layers rather than add new masks. I want to get to the root, the core. This is my version of rewilding, noticing seasons and cycles, incorporating meaningful rituals and reconnecting to a greater purpose in life. It takes a slower approach, but I think that's what we all need right now. My best friend reached out to me recently to tell me she wants to write this shit, but she's fallen into a slower version of herself since the pandemic. She feels in some way that she's forgotten the way she used to be. I feel a similar ache down to my bones, I am so sick of the competition, of the forced inspirational writings and the timing and posting to all of the different outlets to connect with people. We've allowed those same corporate billionaires I mentioned to dictate how we reach others and create community. And in my corner of the world, it is sparse and soul-sucking. I know I'm not alone. I've seen no fewer than a dozen other people post a similar sentiment recently. There has to be a way to create meaningful art that makes us glad to be alive, 
share it with other people who derive their own personal meaning from it, and connect us across the internet without competition or an inability to be seen unless we pay X amount of dollars to do so. If you're feeling the desire to pull back and reconnect with deeper meaning, I poured my heart and soul into a guide that will help you do just that. My Cycles and Seasons PDF workbook is everything you've been wanting and more. And until the autumn equinox, it's being offered at a steep discount. You can grab your copy through the link in my show notes. What does rewilding mean to you? When you hear that phrase, when you first heard that phrase in this episode, or maybe when you heard about my podcast and the title, what drew you to it? What images are procured in your imagination? Let me know. I'm over on Instagram at the Liz Glenn, and this week I am going to be releasing some bittersweet news, so make sure you stay tuned over there to find out more. I'll talk next time, love. Mm-hmm.